All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see Did you The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, it arms To the line, Hughes scores! here like I don't I don't cover the Canucks yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks just wave the guy and get Demko involved I wanted them in in Valentine's Day wow we should do a radio show together <laughs> right on I want to fist bump you right now Pearl steals cutting in shoots scores Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello. 
Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. My name is David Quadrelli and I am joined as always by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon, an hour after our class just finished? Good, I'm discovering LinkedIn, it seems like a pretty cool website, Uh, but uh, I'm just still in a good mood from what happened on Thursday with the prospects. That was an incredible day for like three Canucks prospects, really. Obviously, the big two ones uh, in Niels Huglander and Vasily Pod Colson. But aside from that, uh, it's been a good day. I had uh, some homemade chicken strips last night for dinner, which were excellent. You know, a little shake and bake on some chicken tenders, and that was a delicious dinner. So I got a bunch left over, so I'm in a good mood because I know that I got to warm up some chicken strips later on. That's going to be a great day. That is fantastic. Those are always good. And something you were asking me about last night when we were playing Warzone with Adam Gaudet, by the way. Let's talk about that, playing with Adam Gaudet. But what you were asking me is what the best appetizer is. And that was a that was a tough one for me to answer, but I think we should have that conversation a little bit later in the show. Maybe we'll circle back on the whole appetizers things. But yeah, we played against Adam Gaudet yesterday, and the video went around of him shooting me out of the air. I don't even know how he hit those shots. It was just ridiculous. Like, I PC players have such an advantage, and it's, like, insane how hard it is to play against them. That's why we don't like to play with Wyatt or JD, because they play on PC. So it's it's always tougher against those PC guys. Yeah, it's pretty funny. We made, like, an all-writers team of yourself, uh, Wyatt, Cody Severson, and, and me, obviously, for a while there. And then... We were mixing it up, and I think we came last out of the squads every single time. Like, there was people beneath us, like, that finished worse, but they were, like, teams of one or teams of two. But, like, as for teams of four, the the team writers was absolutely horrible oh. on the Adam Goddard private, uh, private lobby. But, yeah, like, it, it's so hard for console players to compete with the computer play. Like, we were watching, like, it shows you, you get to spectate, spectate other yep. players. And they're doing, like, 720s as they're just, like, running down the road, like, just for fun. It's like, dude, I can't spin that fast. Like, like I don't know. I could. I, it was blowing me away. But, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, yeah, Godet absolutely beamed you out of the air. Like, oh. that was that was insane. Man, and you know how I like to go to those towers, right? I went back and watched the stream, and I wanted to see what happened and maybe what I did wrong. You know, look at the game tape. Godet would be proud. And his teammates, like... Yo, guy in the tower, guy in the tower, and God's like, oh, okay, I got him, and he's, like, so calm, and he just runs up, looks at the tower, sees me jumping out, and just beams me. Like, I was like, oh, they're coming, I better run, and I was so far, I don't know how he hit me, like, he was using a growl, so I switched to the growl after that game, and it's just, I I can't hit the same amount of shots, it's ridiculous, I don't know. He was, I think he was using the kilo. No, he was using growl. uh... I saw a bunch of people in the comments saying Kilo, but anyways, oh. I don't think people want to. People don't want to hear us debate which gun they were using in Warzone. <laughs> but it, like, actually looking at what Godhead did the other day, like that is so cool. We we were kind of just like, I wouldn't say freaking out, but we were just kind of like taken back of like what this year has brought and the fact that we're playing Call of Duty now with a Canucks player. Um, it's like. It was just weird, but it was like so cool that Adam Godhead's going out and doing the stuff. And and shout out to Adam Godhead, like he's. You know, he's not like the biggest name player on the Canucks, but he's a pretty big part of this team, especially moving forward. And you see what he's doing on social media and his wife as well, Michaela, like what they're doing with even if it's just stupid TikToks. Like, I'm sure that they're not proud of every single TikTok they're putting (laughs) out, but like they're putting out like fun content for us. And I think that that's so great because fans just 
you know, they're fans. Like the the word fans means fanatic, and people are fanatic about this team. I think that they they would love to see a lot more Canucks players get involved in this. And Adam Goddard's been doing a great job of, I think, going out there and putting himself on a stream, putting his wife on a stream, and like actually communicating with fans, getting involved with them. He's pretty active in the chat. So just like big shout out to Adam Goddard um, in this in this pandemic and specifically in the off season. Like he's been really getting involved with the with the fans of the Vancouver Canucks and fans of him. So good for him uh, creating that brand. I guess it's a it seems like a good way to grow a brand. I think for a player, absolutely. And you like to see more and more players doing that. You look at Pedersen with the photo shoots and everything. But one thing about this whole Gaudet thing is originally it seemed like he was going to come play with us. And I think that's still the plan. But after seeing us play yesterday and seeing where we landed on the scoreboard, I'm, I'm thinking we're about to get ghosted by Gaudet. I don't think he's going to want to play with us after that performance. Uh, I don't know. I got him in the trap now. Like People like... Like you send out some Instagram DMs to people like celebrities sometimes, and you you're never gonna get a response, right? It's just gonna be buried in there, uh, whatever it is. Like when people try and say it's like a message request or whatever. So so many celebrities and hockey players and professional athletes they all have these, but he messaged me on Instagram, so like I got him now. So like when I send him, he's getting a notification, right? So like that's good. Uh, so yeah, we got to set up a game where you and I. Uh, link up with gods and we play because i think he plays on console as well so we can stay away from those pc players a little bit yeah i man i don't know if i want to play with him though because what if we just crap the bed he's never going to answer our questions in the room we ask him questions like no next question these guys suck at war so yeah well that's a that's a story Um, the best thing i saw uh was somebody replied to the tweet when i sent out the video and someone's just like go write an article about that nerd (laughs) after he blasted you Jeez, oh, I, I, I wonder I wonder what he would have said if he knew it was it was me that he was shooting if he would have said something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that would have been fantastic. But we should mention, and I totally forgot to, as I tend to, so often tend to do, uh Dan O'Connor is on this episode and you had a nice chat with him. It's gonna take up the bulk of the episode. Like we said, not a ton of news, but there is some stuff we do want to talk about, and I think we're done with the Warzone talk for now. But yeah, Dan O'Connor, that was a fun conversation, wasn't it, Chris? Man, I, uh, I I think I said it at the end of the interview, but I was like, I looked down and I clicked because I was, you know, I have all my tabs open with some questions and some information to help, you know, ask questions to Dan. And then I clicked to the um, the recording file that I was using with the program and I click it and I'm like, I wonder if I'm at 30 minutes yet. And I look and I'm over an hour. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I should probably uh, shut this down pretty soon. Dano is like... Dano's the man. Like he's he's so much fun to talk to. He's one of the nicest guys around Vancouver hockey, and he's got a really great story of where you know how he got to the point that he's at right now. And you know, a couple little things. I, I asked him a couple Canucks questions. We asked a little bit about uh, Victor Person a little bit because he's coming over to the WHL. So there's a little bit of Canucks content in there as well. But just hearing Dan's story is a lot of fun, and I hope people enjoy. it. We're gonna finish off the episode with it after we just kind of do our our little opening skit here. We'll we'll talk about a few things because there is some some stuff I definitely want to get to with the process. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit but yeah we're gonna close out the episode with i think it's an hour and seven minutes uh just myself and dan and i think we're gonna start to do a couple of these into the future like it might be me talking to someone it might just be you talking to someone it might be both of us having a conversation and putting it on the episode but if there's not a ton of news it's kind of here cool to like hear the story of how people got into what job they're doing uh so we'll, we'll expand into those a little bit but as soon as news breaks we're definitely going to bring that to you guys whether that's on you know a podcast that we have to do because of an emergency or something like if big news drops we're definitely going to kind of come out to it but at the same time we're down to one show a week because there's just not a lot going on right now 
now, and it's going to be a slow, I'd say probably next, like, four weeks, which isn't bad. Like, it, it's not actually that far away, but I think before we start to hear real news about training camps and when the season's actually starting up, because they're, what are they, they're aiming for January 1st, like, I just, I don't see that happening, personally. But yeah. I also, I didn't see them going through the bubble without a COVID case either, so they kind of shocked me in that way, and if they have a same plan and they execute it the same way that they did with the bubble, like, more power to them, and I think this is something we talked about when they were going into the bubble was like the, the NHL is going to have to prove to a lot of people that they're able to do this and get back to play. And I think they did that with the playoff bubble. So I think that they have to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm iffy to believe if it's actually going to happen on January 1st, but man, they knocked it out of the park with what they did with the playoff bubble. So maybe they're able to do something similar with January 1st start date. Well, we know they don't want to do bubbles. Rather, they want to do hubs. So you'll stay in a city, and they're just going to try and minimize the travel, right? So they'll have, like, my understanding of it is they'll have, like, four teams in one city, right? And then those teams will play, like, 12 games against each other. And then they'll travel to the next city. So, again, like, I don't want to say any of this as fact because nothing's set in stone yet. But from what we've been hearing uh, from the Board of Governors meetings and everything else going on, like... Yeah, they want to go as early as January 1st. Those were the words they used. Um, but again, like you and I both know, they've got to have a training camp. There's players in Europe. There's players in the States who have to respect a two-week quarantine. Right now, we know Thatcher Demko's here. Zach McEwen's here. Pedersen didn't go home uh, to Sweden. He stayed here the whole time. So he's here as well. Troy Stetcher's here. Not that it matters much to Canucks fans, but he's still here cool. till he has to go to Detroit for training camp. Breaks your heart. But that's who's here right now. Uh, I don't think i'm forgetting anybody i know besser went back home obviously to be with his parents uh but yeah like like a guy like besser he's got to come in he's got to quarantine for two weeks and then he's got to go into training camp so if you're doing that like like you know you know training camp in july was two weeks right like it was two weeks of time so if they're thinking of doing that players theoretically have to come in the middle of december they're going to miss Christmas after doing this bubble thing, and then they're going to go into a very uncertain season. Like, I don't well, know. Well, they would I... have to come back at the start of December. Say that again? Well, they would have to come back at the start of December, do the two-week yes. quarantine, and then do two weeks of camp. Yes, that's That's why true. I think we're, we're about a month away from really knowing what's going on. Because if players are coming back, you know, we'll know in, in kind of like three weeks right now, two or three weeks, which is oh, crazy I didn't even think. think of that. You're right. They'd have to come back at the start of December if they're, yeah, exactly. Well, like, yeah, I guess I was thinking more so of the players, you know, I, I, I think the majority of their players, like, are still in Canada. Like, I know Beagle, Sutter, Horvat, uh, well, I guess Miller's in the States. Yeah, I guess it's not really a majority. I think it's going to be about no, 50 I, I would say the other way. I would say there's a majority of them not in Canada, probably. Well, Edler's still here. Louis, I don't think Louis went back home. I don't know. We don't know where everybody's at right now. Uh, like, we know Quinn Hughes went home. I don't want to go through the whole roster and see if they're still here or not. But, yeah, you're right. There's going to be players who have to come back at the start of December to get their two-week quarantine done. And that's another thing. Like, with cases so high, I don't see a world where they even think about bending the rules. Oh, you're a professional athlete? Sure, we can bend the rules for you. Like, no, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Like, you know, cases are rising here, but they're still high where a lot of these players are coming from, right? So, I, man, I, I really don't see that being the case. Like, people want to see... Um, see them bend the rules for an athlete i i don't think that's going to happen right now just with the current climate and everything going on like i i can't see that happening 
No, I don't. I don't think so either. I don't think they will bend the two weeks. It's just I think that's a provincial rule, right, for British Columbians. So um, I just, I it's it's crazy, and it I'll, I'll kind of transition this to prospects a little bit because it does affect one of them. Um, we're actually one month away. The date that we're recording this right now, we're one month away from Niels Hoglander's loan expiring with Regley. Um, so he is he's stated to play his final game on December twelfth. He gets released from the loan on the thirteenth of December. So if he's released on the 13th of December, let's say he flies out on the 13th, right? He gets here, he has to quarantine for two weeks before even getting to training camp. So he misses at least at least a week of training camp if they're aiming to go January 1st. So all these people that are really hoping that Niels Huglander has a chance of making this team, and a lot of these same people are thinking that the, that the NHL season is going to start January 1st, unfortunately that doesn't give Niels Huglander a lot to show the coaching staff from what he's going to be able to do on this team because he's going to miss a lot of camp if he gets here on the 13th or the 14th, and you know then he has to quarantine for two weeks. We're looking at the 20. 20 you know 28th 27th like that's when he's going to be able to start competing mm-hmm. and they want to start January 1st you're not even going to get a chance to see Niels Huglander at training camp really so um it, it's a it's a crazy situation obviously and nothing's set in stone right now but it might be better specifically for the the Niels Huglander truth truthers out there um if the season is pushed back even to something like January 15th and actually you know what like you'll get to it later in this conversation but we have a, a pretty decent we open up with it uh, when I talk with Dan O'Connor, uh, we talk a lot about COVID and what the WHL season is like coming back. So um, let, let's leave the COVID talk here and let's talk about that prospect a little bit in Niels Hoglander because himself, uh, Dmitry Zlodiev, and Vasily Podkolzin all had two points on Thursday. I think the highlight of all of them, and I don't, I'll, I'll ask you if you agree with this or not, was that assist from Niels Hoglander, though. Yeah, dude, the way he controlled the zone. Like, that that's the kind of, con- I don't know, like... You see assists, like, even the one Pod Colton did, right? Where it's, like, a secondary assist, or it's like, oh, well, the guy was wide open, and it was an easy tap-in, he just found him. But Hoglander was creating space, right? And when you're doing that, that shows me that you have the confidence, not only in the SHL, but that you could come to the NHL and potentially be a guy who has the offensive capabilities to just, you know, wheel a puck into the zone with confidence, right? And I mean, he probably won't have as much time in space as he does in the SHL when he gets to the NHL. Uh, But man, it's just good to see that kind of confidence from a young player like that. Oh, definitely. And you're starting to see a little bit more confidence. And it's not like he's getting a ton of minutes either, right? Like, you look at mm-hmm. his last few games, he only has one of them of his last, you know, like seven games over 15 minutes. So he's not getting a lot of time, but he's making the most of it over the past few games. He had that six six games, uh, that six-game run where he had zero points in any of those games after a great start to the season. But you look at it, five points in his last five. He's got two goals and two assists in his last three on a three-game point streak right now. So, you know, the kid's starting to heat up, and he's starting to get some luck go his way. I, I like I was tweeting about this like crazy as as the SHL break was on. I'm like he's just like he seriously feels like Nils Hoglander was snake bitten. Like he wasn't. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like like specifically the way that I have to watch these prospects. It's like I I really don't care much about what the game's going on. Right. Like like when the game's going on and Nils Hoglander is not on the ice. I like I I care if a player sticks out. I'll watch him. But at the same time, like I'm here to watch Niels Huglander. So when I'm watching them play, I'm specifically watching him. I'm watching where the puck's going. I'm watching where rebounds are going. I'm watching where passes are going. And it just felt like for a while there, specifically in that six-game stretch, or even extending it too, like there was like an eight-game stretch after that two, uh, four points that he had in the first two games. But like it just felt like the puck was not 
bouncing towards him it wasn't getting past him in certain spots from his teammates like it was just a lot of stuff going in the other direction and not really going his way so i think looking at it now like a couple things finally went his way which is good to see and from there on we're just gonna see what happens you know he's got to continue to put up points here and if he does i think that gives him a better shot of making the canucks but like i just mentioned earlier you know if if he's not able to compete in a full training camp that makes it real tough to state like to put him into the Canucks roster and the thing that's best going for him right now to make this team is for him to go to training camp because this kid's unreal at training camp we're starting to see some of these post-game interviews from from Reglick get uh, tweeted out and like the players are like I think I saw a quote the other day where it was just like with when you're playing with Niels you just have to be able to keep up he's an absolute machine <laughs> on the ice or something like that and like that's true and that was the same thing that we heard from all the guys at the prospects camp was all of them were just raving about the Swedish kid like he was unreal the small Swedish kid was just incredibly skilled so I think the best shot of him making this team and actually playing is for him to be at a full training camp so the the fact that his loan ends on the 12th and we could see NHL players potentially coming here on December 1st to do that two-week quarantine um it definitely hurts his chances if if everything actually runs to the date that they want it to happen it hurts his chances if he's not able to compete yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. And it's going to be interesting. He's going to be a guy we watch at training camp. And there's a few that we're going to be watching at training camp. People have heard us talk about it on this show before. And I mean, there's Vasily Podkolzin as well, who's not going to be at training camp. But that's another guy who's been playing with a ton of confidence since the Karhala Cup in Finland. And man, getting some first line minutes with Ska in the KHL. And just like, I don't know, it, it felt nice because I think you and I were both saying for a while there, like, He's just, like, free pods. It wasn't for nothing. Like, hashtag free pods wasn't just us being funny. Like, we were legitimately saying, like, if you give this guy some more opportunity, he will succeed. And then you have all the people uh, saying, oh, Jake Furtanen's great, but Vasily Podkolzin? No, he he's not good. He's he's not good. He can't even score at the KHL level. So, I don't know. Like, it, it was nice It was nice to make those people eat their words a little bit when we saw Podkolzin yeah. come out and uh, have the performances he did. But I'll let you talk about that since you wake up at, like, well, 3 a.m. to watch all his games. Yeah, I'll be up at 6 tomorrow for his game. But, like, he... He, the free pods movement is not over like he, yeah he's on the first line but he didn't get any time on the power play he didn't get any time shorthanded those are where he's going to do some of his best work and that's where he's going to score a lot of his goals is on the power play because he's so electric in front of the net and he's always moving around the net and still being a great net front presence like that's where he's going to score a lot of his goals and get a lot of his points is when he's on that in front of the net when he's rotating the right side passing it to Petey like that's where he's going to put up a lot of his points and I think that yeah, he played 12:55. He was a first-line guy skating with Marchenko, who he's got a lot of chemistry with. Um, they obviously had a great start to the season uh, when they were on that fourth line with him and Morozov. But now he's playing with Linden Vey and Marchenko on the first line. He's getting a lot of opportunities. Unfortunately, he's not out there killing penalties. And it's it's so crazy to say because, th- though this is kind of contradictive to, the, to what I said earlier about Niels Huglander uh, and how I only really watch him, like... I do watch the games, and I see the way that the rest of Ska and their players, specifically their wingers, the way that they forecheck, and they're just, it's not the same like Pod Colson. Like, the way that Pod Colson forechecks is just electric, and he's, he should, I don't know, he just feels like the guy that you, when I look at all of those wingers playing on Ska, I just think that Pod Colson would be the best penalty killer out of the group. He, he blocks so many shots, he does a great job of that, he's not afraid to get involved physically. He almost, he almost dropped the gloves with, do you remember Washington... Capitals player Alexander Seaman, 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 Seaman. Yep, Seaman. Okay. I always Semen. said yep. Seaman because I thought it was a funny joke. But anyways, Alexander Seaman, like 
he almost dropped the gloves with him, who's now the captain. I think he's like 36 years old. He's the captain of Vityaz, I think is his name of the team. Probably not pronouncing it right. But he almost dropped the gloves with him because Semin uh, high-sticked Pod Colson. And this is right after he uh, scored his goal. And then he, he drew a penalty right after that because Semin high-sticked him. And then he kind of got in Pod Colson's face after. Slashed him a little bit. They were about to drop the gloves if the ref didn't get involved. And it's just like... You see that, and it's like everyone's all excited about the goal and the assist, but like I see something like that, and I just get way more excited for this kid, even if it's not something that's on the score sheet. And that's the problem that I think a lot of people have is the score sheet has to be, you know, score sheets aren't scouts, but for some reason a lot of people think they're scouts from looking at score sheets. So I don't know. It, it just kind of pisses me off to see it because I know that this kid's going to be impactful. I know the goals are going to come, and I think that. It was a tough stretch for both these players of these top prospects, but the little bit of confidence that he got from the Karjala, I think that that's uh, you know that's great for him moving forward. And if he is going to stick on the first line, like dude, they just won eight one. That's the biggest win of Scott's <laughs> season. There's no chance if Valerie Bragan switches and he's the coach for Scott. If he switches the lineups, I don't care about COVID. I'm getting on a flight and I'm handling the situation. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Patreon content, Valerie Bragan versus Chris Faber, one-on-one. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll meet you in the gulag, bud. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have one. Oh, my gosh, we shouldn't say do. that. We have, we have Russian listeners on this show. I don't know if you've there seen our numbers in Russia, even on Canucks Army. Probably with how much we talk about Pod Colton on there, but... Matt, we've got like we've got a decent amount of listenership and readership in Russia. Like, well, I you, think... you heard who is a celebrity, right? You heard on the Vancast, Drancer was saying that Rick Dollywall is a yes. celebrity over there in yes. Russia. You're next. You're next, man. You're next. Yeah, I'm in Dollywall's shadow once again. <laughs> love it, love it. Well, I mean, if there's not too much else to add, we could go to Dan O'Connor. Um, yeah, I mean, I was kind of throwing the idea out there to talk about the most memorable goal you've seen. Yeah, live. let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I think that's a good title for the episode, too. It's just the most memorable goal for the Canucks. Like, okay, the answer is quite clearly the Dragon Slayer goal. And Jason Judy had a really good article for Canucks Army counting down the top 10 uh, most important goals in the franchise's history. Uh, obviously, the Dragon Slayer is the big one, right? Like, if, if Burroughs doesn't score that goal, the f- whole core gets torn up. It's just instant rebuild mode and they would have they wouldn't have been given another shot maybe looking back on it that would have been the best thing for them but you know there's a lot of jobs on the line and burrow saved a lot of jobs with that goal the dragon slayer goal and i'll let you talk about this one because when we were talking about our moments this is the one that you were actually there for yeah this is by far the biggest goal that i was ever at and saw in person we were at that game it was the best Christmas present, or sorry, no, it was the best birthday present I ever got, and one of my buddies had a similar birthday, uh, and our moms got us that together to go on this game, go and watch this game, and it was incredible from start to finish, I remember just, you know, being 18 and getting served alcohol was like the great start to the game, Uh, didn't even get ID'd at the time, because I looked like a 30 year old when I was like 15, (laughs) so anyways, I didn't get, didn't get ID'd, so we got drinks for, for like the whole game, which was awesome, and then the, like, when the goal actually went in, my friend Joey, uh, he was a very small, like not small. He's very skinny. He's a skinny dude. He picked me right up off the ground and like lifted me up in the air and like twirled me like a ballerina. And we like, the place was nuts. I just remember it was absolutely insane in the arena. Like you could just feel the whole place like shaking. And then when the game finished, um, we were, we were grabbing towels, right? Cause we're like, Oh, we want to bring some of these towels back. And there's a bunch in the seats. And we were taking extra towels because we're like, oh, we want to keep these, you know, the white towels that they wave, right? So yeah. we were grabbing a bunch of these towels and we were bringing them back with us. And we found a Boston Bruins jersey on the ground somewhere. 
like a Boston Bruins jersey. And this is sort of like an omen looking forward to what happens because they end up losing to the Bruins, obviously, in 2011. And my friend Joey takes home the Boston Bruins jersey and gives it to his buddy who's a Bruins fan. Um, So that was kind of crazy. But I remember hitting the streets and it was insane. Like there was just bottles. And and to think that this was happening and now that we're in a COVID world, it's so strange. But like there was bottles of like vodka and like rum, like all this hard liquor just like... You would just be walking on the street, someone would just, like, hand you a bottle of liquor, <laughs> like, beers and, like, everything. It was absolutely insane. Like, I I was pretty young at the time, and I didn't know much about downtown Vancouver, and I was just like, damn, downtown Vancouver's crazy. Like, people just, like, giving you alcohol wherever you are on every corner and stuff, but, like, it was just, it was a crazy night. It was definitely, like, probably the best night of my life, I'd have to say. It was absolutely insane, so... Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that being the biggest goal in Canucks history, just because of the fact that I was there at that. That was pretty unreal. So, <laughs> the one that I was that I was at that kind of sticks out to me the most, and it's funny because this this was in the dark years. Like we were talking about who was on the ice for this goal. It was Bo Horvat's first goal, and I won it in English class. You know, I'm a big Scrabble player, right? Like I love playing Scrabble. Um, yeah. You know, play all the time with my family. So, in grade nine, English honors. Okay, not a big deal. I was in class, and my teacher wrote three words on the whiteboard okay and she was like i'm gonna give you all one minute to unscramble these words these three words and you can use all the letters in these three words and you can create as many words as you can whoever's the most wins tickets to the canucks game tomorrow night and they were playing anaheim and i instantly was like all right well i have to win this so i just like got in the zone i put down 46 words in a minute like I don't know how I did this because I don't think I could do it now but I put 46 and then the person who was like second in the class like it was like me at 46 and then the next person was like I think like 29 and someone had 28 then there was like a 26 and but it was just like this huge jump and I was like sweating okay because it was only a minute and I was just going like I was going so fast I finished all of them and then yeah so I won the tickets which was great uh, and then, yeah, I went with my friend Chris, so I, I think you've met, I actually, I think we just played Warzone with him, but anyways, Chris isn't, like, a huge Canucks fan, but he's a very, he, like, he's a, he's a casual Canucks fan, like, he knows what's going on, like, he watches Pedersen and all them, uh, so, yeah, we, we went to that game, and this is in the dark years, right, so, like, I was explaining to Chris, I'm like, okay, so, yeah, like, this is Bo Horvat, he's the future captain of the team, like, he's great, he's really, really good, but, you know, they don't have much else around him, so, on this line with him, when he was when he scored his first goal against Anaheim, and again, like the seats were the worst part. Like they were right in front of where Murph does his uh, intermission, like uh, panels or whatever. So like yeah, yeah. worst seat in the house. But you know, there's not really a bad seat in Rogers Arena. I like to say it's always you can always kind of see what's going on. But anyway, not the best seats. We're sitting there. Horvat scores this goal, and I was like, oh my gosh, Bo Horvat, like, this is the first of many, and I, I was so happy, like, I really liked Bo Horvat uh, when I was a kid, for sure, and, uh, yeah, and I, I was just looking back on it before we hit record here, and the people on the ice for that goal were Derek Dorsett, Zach Cassian, and then Alex Edler and Kevin Bieksa, and it was just, it was so funny to me, just, like, 
I was like, wow, that was like the second line. Like that was not good. And then the Horvat had had a stint with Ronald Kennens and then Willie D, Tank Commander Willie on the bench. And it was just yeah, like it was it was the dark times of the Vancouver Canucks, but still that's the one that stands out the most to me. The captain of the squad scoring his first career goal as a 19-year-old. It was just it was cool to see, man. It was cool to see live cuz you could tell there was like that that sense of hope with Bo, you know, like, like mm-hmm. people cheered a little louder for that one than they would if the Sedin scored, uh, or if, you know, Zach Cassian scored, like there was that little shred of hope that maybe Bo could become something. And then, yeah, like the season after plays with Berchi and then Bester comes at the end of the year and they do that whole line together. So yeah, like, like Bo was a beacon of hope for the organization before there was Elias Pettersson, there was Bo Horvat. I can't believe I talked about this goal in the 2016 or 2015 season, for or 2014-15 actually that was when it happened i was in grade nine um but i can't believe i just talked about this for six minutes and you spent like three minutes on the dragon slayer goal <laughs> well that was, it was dark times man you can talk about dark times easily it's funny i um to, as we're about to throw to the interview i think i asked dan what the most incredible game he ever saw what like a single single player having a performance in one game was uh, and you guys will hear it in the interview, but he talks about a game that he was watching at the Memorial Cup when the Giants were there, and he saw a game where the Halifax Mooseheads, that's what they're called, right? I'm, I'm always yep, bad yep, with yep. what the teams are. I thought so, okay. So this is when Nate McKinnon was playing for them, and this is how Nate McKinnon became the number one pick in the draft that he got drafted in, because Nate McKinnon in the final, who was playing against Seth Jones's team, and he ended up having, so they ended up winning 6-4 in that final game. Uh, with an empty net goal that Nate McKinnon wasn't on the ice for, but the five goals that they scored prior to that, Nate McKinnon scored three of them and had primary assists on two of them. And oh. he said that Nate McKinnon was on an absolute other level in that game. So uh, you guys will hear that story from Dan O'Connor a little bit later, and we should probably send to it, but you're hosting, so I'll let you do this. Yep, let's do that. I think we're not even going to come back after, so we're going to throw to some ads, and then we're going to finish off the episode with some talk with Dan O'Connor. Great interview by Chris here. So... Thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 117 of the Canucks Conversation. And now here is Dan O'Connor of the Vancouver Giants. And before we go any further, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation podcast, Zephyr Epic, Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. We open a lot of hockey cards from them, and you can too. You can use promo code CanucksConvo for $5 off your order. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, so take advantage of that. Again, that is promo code CanucksConvo at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms, on Twitter, Instagram, and join them on Twitch every Thursday for weekly case break giveaways. Chris and I have a lot of fun doing these. You guys should check them out as well. We've been having a lot of luck. We opened a lot of Quinn Hughes cards, and now we're doing the DiPietro diving. You can catch us on Twitter and Instagram opening hockey cards at random times. It's really hard to find out when we're going to do it because we don't really know when we're going to do it. But be on the lookout for that and make sure you go buy yourself some hockey cards, whatever cards you need from Zephyr Epic. Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on all platforms. And before we go any further, just want to give a quick shout out to one of the sponsors of the Canucks Conversation, Mike's Heart Lemonade. And if you guys are looking for a zero sugar, zero carbs, and also 7% vodka drink, look no further than Mike's Harder Zero. They have three different flavors right now, lemon, lime, and cherry, with apparently more flavors just around the corner. Uh, So with zero sugar, zero carbs, natural flavor, and 7% vodka, this crisp vodka soda packs the perfect amount of juicy, tart flavor with 
with a bit more vodka. So you only got to drink two of these to get drunk, Quads. That's exciting for you. All right, guys, and joining me now, the voice of the Vancouver Giants and also co-host of The Voice and the Coach Podcast, Dan O'Connor. Dano, how you doing? Uh, doing very well. Really appreciate you uh, having me on the show, and you know, busy day for both of us. Lots of uh, lots of excitement out there, and yeah, looking forward to to beginning the conversation. Absolutely, and uh, I know it's going to start being a lot more busy days for you with the WHL having a set date now. Is it January eighth? They're looking for. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's that's certainly where where all of this is heading. Um, you know, certainly with the situation being ever changing in, in not just British Columbia, but in, you know, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Washington and Oregon, where we're all pulling the same rope together, trying our, our very best to make sure that we're ready to go uh, for January 8th. And um, I, I'd say that all of us collectively are feeling encouraged and optimistic that that's can and will happen uh, and it's just going to be a matter of making sure that we can you know collectively all do our part and and you know with all the restrictions that are currently in place it's it's buying into what we're told to do and hopefully before too long we can we can have hockey again yeah most definitely i think a lot of people are excited to get the giants back in action for sure and and you know to look at it from the other side of it i'm curious what it was like for you you know, as we were going through the WHL shutting down last season, like what was that kind of like for you and specifically the job that you do with the Giants? I mean, you're, you're involved with the players at all time, not only the play-by-play, but behind the behind the scenes as well. So what was that kind of like when the news, I guess, came down? Was it was it a similar time like when Rudy Gobert started testing positive and then the NBA shut down NHL? And then I think junior hockey was a little bit after that, right? Yeah, for sure. So so the timeline, you're, you're bang on. Um, it was so... Early that week, so we're probably talking like March 9th, in and around there, we started to hear word out of Washington State that the Seattle Thunderbirds were going to have a game with no fans in the stands. And that game on the Saturday was going to be against us. And so... We started to look into this a little bit more, and, and there's the hockey side of you that's thinking wait, we have to go to Seattle and we don't have to endure those loud, rabid, crazy fans. This is awesome. This is really going to benefit the Vancouver Giants. And then, you know, you start to look at the actual logistics of this where, you know, I think there was something in place where there could only be, you know, maybe a hundred or less people in the entire building. And then you're thinking, okay, well, how are we going to feed the team a post-game meal after the game? Like, what is this going to look like? Do, how are we going to feed a team before the game in Washington on the way? Like, are we going to be able to stop at a restaurant? What's this all going to look like? So so we were all trying to wrap our head around that. And then all the while, you know, you're, you're seeing all these news updates and cases are, are starting to become a little more prevalent. And then... All of a sudden, Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz, you know, take the floor only to have a game canceled right before they're, you know, they're about to tip off. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, oh boy, uh, if, if sports are shutting down, this, this is not going to be uh, good news for, for anybody. And then the Thursday, which would have been Thursday the 11th of March, um, went into the rink and the NHL announced that they were pausing their season 
Uh, we got word that the WHL was going to be doing the exact same thing, and, and I think it was around 1 o'clock that the league officially paused its season. Uh, we told all the players to uh, to head home and to you know lay low for a weekend while we got all the, uh, the facts straight and together with all of this. And um, we haven't had a hockey game since. The last game the Giants played was in Prince George on the 7th of March, and it... Uh, it, it feels like forever because it has been forever since we last played, but um, it went from trying to plan a road trip for a game without any fans to, I don't know when the next road trip is going to be for the Vancouver Giants, and that's still sort of true even today. Absolutely, and I, I found it, um, you had a conversation a few episodes ago, or actually just one episode ago on episode 20 uh, of your show, the, the Voice and the Coach podcast, with you had Cam Hope on. Um, and I found it interesting the way that he was talking about, you know, when they said goodbye to their players in the Royals organization and you weren't really sure when you were going to see them again. Uh, what's it been like for you? I mean, with some of these 20-year-olds moving on, uh, you've been around these guys for a couple of years. Like, what's the relationship been like for you guys? Have you talked to them at all since since the season kind of shut down? Uh, yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, when you look at junior hockey and the, the real big scope of all of this, the, the major letdown for everybody is the fact that the 20-year-olds had, had the worst go of this because they didn't get to leave on their terms. Yeah. They didn't get to, to have the fans applaud them at the end of a game. They didn't have to, you know, they weren't named the, the three final stars of the final home game, as is tradition to do with the 20-year-olds sometimes. And, you know, for, for David Tendick, uh, Milos Roman, and Tyler Prezuzo, the three 20-year-olds for the Giants, I, I was lucky enough to be able to chat with, with all three. You know, once the season was canceled for good, um, I spoke to all three individually and, and did our best on, on the Vancouver Giants website to profile all three and to, to do a sort of a tribute to all three guys, just a, a congratulations on a great career type of thing. And for Roman and for Tendick, two lifelong giants, two guys that were just instrumental in their success and, and their run to the finals back in 2019. It, it was really emotional and, and tough to, to say goodbye to those two. And then, you know, for Tyler Prezuzo, sure, he's a new giant, but, you know, here's a guy who... He, he had the most games played of any active WHL player uh, before the, the season ended. You know, so a 20-year-old who played parts of five seasons with Medicine Hats and then gets traded to Vancouver, doesn't get a final playoff series, doesn't get, you know, a, a chance to get closure on, on his terms. So it was definitely difficult. You could tell that, you know, their teammates and younger players – that that was a major reason for the sadness um, really throughout the league is just not getting the 20-year-olds their, their send-off that they deserved. Yeah, most definitely. It's definitely a tough situation, and, and even moving into now, like we don't really know what the situation is going to really look like uh, come January anyways, but we're all hoping for the best. We're hoping to get back to it. Uh, I think we'll, we'll leave the negative behind us. Let's move into some positive talks a little bit. I, I hate talking about COVID no matter what it is. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy how... It just occupies so much of the conversation, you know, whether it's with family, whether it's with friends, whether it's with colleagues and coworkers. It's uh, it's hard to it's hard to avoid it just with the, the day and age. 
Absolutely. Well, let's, like I said, let's move to a positive note. Um, something that, that we talked about kind of before we started recording was one of the things that I love about your show is that you don't have to break down so much of the, you know, your show doesn't rely on news similar to mine does. You actually get to tell a lot of these stories of the guests that you have on. Um, and I kind of wanted to hear your story a little bit, Dan, because I, I found it so interesting, you know, kind of learning about you, um, the way that you came up through the ranks and through junior hockey. I wonder if you could just let us know how it all started for you and, and more specifically, I want to know when was the first time you actually did play-by-play for a hockey game, and where did it kind of go from there? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, th- there's probably two answers to that. I mean, the the first hockey game play-by-play I probably ever did was to NHL '96 on a Sega Genesis back when I was about ten years old, probably. But um, no, you know what? For for me, and I'll, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, I've, I've been blessed uh and very lucky i suppose in that um really for as long as i can remember all i've ever wanted to do in my life is call hockey games it was always the the number one thing i of course agree at playing hockey and, and i and i always have played but i kind of knew from an early age that i was never going to make the nhl with my skating or my slap shot but heck, maybe I can make it with my brain and my voice. And um, so I, I would watch old hockey games. My dad was was really good about, you know, recording old Edmonton Oilers games onto VHS tapes. And, you know, I would watch games and, you know, some people look at a piano for the first time and they can just play. Some people look under the hood of a car and they can just fix it. Um I could always just remember that Lee Fogelin wore number two and Yari Curry wore number 17. And it, it just, I was able to start retaining the information. And then, you know, you, you start to become a Canuck fan and we'd go to Canuck games uh, as a family and I'd watch them on TV or I'd listen to their games uh, on the radio. And Jim Robson would do the play-by-play and I would have a little radio in my bedroom and I'd fall asleep. And I, I just always knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And those were those were steps that I wanted to to follow. And so as I got older, uh, enter junior hockey and the Vancouver Giants. So, who I would have been in the eleventh grade when the Vancouver Giants were born. And living in Tawasson and growing up in Tawasson, the Giants went to the same high school as I did. And through just some connections through friends i met uh, i met dale sipe who is the uh senior vp of the vancouver giants he was then and he is now and um with his connection with the vancouver giants it sort of became this thing where it's like okay you're a junior hockey fan well do you want to come to a game and do you want to practice your play-by-play so we you know i i would come and i would assist with the Giants game crew. I'd put the t-shirt on and I'd run around with Jack the Giant for a period or two. And then towards the end, he would say, okay, you're done. Go and go and find a corner somewhere and practice your, your broadcasting. So I was the kid that had a program and had a tape recorder and I would practice calling the games. And so a year or two later, my family became a billet family for the Giants. So the connection only kind of grew. And as we started to welcome Vancouver Giants players into our house, this is when the team really started to win and mm-hmm. contend for championships. So the uh, 
the excitement and the love of the WHL just kind of fostered from there. Um, I went to the rink and I took my tape recorder and I practiced calling games. And then when I I got accepted, and I, I did two years of journalism school uh, through KPU. I was all set to go back. And then Columbia Academy uh, at the time was located, you know, Broadway and Birch in Vancouver. It was a broadcasting school that uh, accepted me on the spot. I did kind of an on-the-spot audition. They said, when can you start? Um, graduated from Columbia in July of 2006, and two weeks later, I got offered a job uh, and interviewed and, and got offered a job in Chetwind, B.C., which, uh, for those of you who don't know where Chetwind is, it's three hours north of Prince George. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty darn remote, pretty darn northern, and, uh, and pretty darn cold, especially for a city slicker like me that had never had to worry about snow tires on a car, never had to you know, worry about inclement weather. But now all of a sudden, I'm 21 years old, and I'm living in northern BC making, gosh, it was... <laughs> my my first paycheck wasn't uh, wasn't anything to uh, to write home about, but part of the position was uh, you know hosting a midday morning show or like a midday music show, doing some commercial production and doing play by play for the Junior B Dawson Creek Junior Canucks of the Northwest Junior Hockey League. So to make a real short story long the uh the first ever real hockey play-by-play that i ever did was in dawson creek at the memorial arena it was a game between the dawson creek junior canucks and the peace air navigators based out of peace river the junior canucks won the game 5-4 and a 20 year old forward by the name of jeff taylor had two goals and one assist uh the junior canucks won the game Unreal. Uh, yeah, it's quite the story to get to that point even just there. And I know there's a lot to come from there because um, I, I wanted to kind of get into when you, you made the transition to, I believe it was the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, right? So what's that like kind of moving to a different part of Canada, let alone not just out of the province? Well, so the very first time I visited the province of Saskatchewan was for my job interview. I, I had never been to Saskatchewan ever in my life and um you know it's one of those things where you're you're in your early 20s i was single at the time i didn't really have any reason not to go and and for me it was it was one of those things where okay i'm calling junior b hockey well the next logical step is to call junior a and um when so the the battle for its north stars job came open and um you know what? What an amazing place, and what a what a phenomenal time in my life that was. Because I, I you know, <laughs> went out and bought a suit that I couldn't afford, and and flew out to the prairies to to interview for the job. And I, you know, it's it's funny. Sometimes you just walk into a place and you feel like you're home. And from the the instant I walked into that radio station in North Battleford, uh, I just felt something felt right about it. And, you know, just the people I met, the interview went off without a hitch. And I I just remember leaving the interview thinking uh, I got a really good feeling about this. And and fortunately, my my intuition was correct. I got the call the next day and got offered the job. So, you know, my dad and I load a U-Haul together and we make our way out to the prairies to um, to start my my Saskatchewan experience and, you know, spent four 
four years in the Battlefords calling hockey games for, you know, the the Battlefords North Stars and the SJHL. I uh, got to call some senior hockey games. Uh, I begged and I pleaded and I insisted that the uh, the radio station let me start my own weekly sports show. Um, finally, after about a year, they relented and they gave me one hour on a Monday night to, uh, to have a sports show. It was called The Sports Fix. And, um, you know... Here I am, 22 years old, uh, living in Saskatchewan, and I'm still using my Dale Sipe connection with the Vancouver Giants to arrange guests for that show. Um, I talked to Gordy Howe after his 80th birthday. I talked to Marcel Dion. I talked to Cito Gaston. I talked to every Saskatchewan Rough Rider you could possibly imagine. It was... um, it was an amazing place and you know being as young being young being hungry being enthusiastic um i i'd like to think that i went into saskatchewan with just a a great work ethic and a great attitude and and i made it my mission to just work as hard as i could to you know hone my play-by-play craft but also just embrace the city embrace that experience and um You know, fast forward four years, um, right on the cusp of when I left for Prince George, uh, I still maintain to this day that leaving Saskatchewan and leaving that community was was a remarkably difficult decision and one that did not come easy. But uh, of course, it's the way that it worked and I I have no regrets, but I'll always be very grateful for those four years in the Battlefords because I think in so many ways... It, it really shaped me as a broadcaster and and as a person in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Now you must just laugh when people complain about the cold over here too. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I've lived in some pretty cold places when you think of Chetwind and <laughs> Prince George and, and North Battleford. I mean, people, uh, people, people don't like driving around in the snow in Vancouver. Truthfully, I don't like driving around in the snow either, but uh, I do laugh when I see the you know the city shut down with a little bit of snow in Vancouver, and I think, oh, this is nothing. This is this is nothing like minus forty degrees in a wind chill, and you got to be up at five a.m. to to go and do the morning sports. Yeah, most definitely. The I I have a lot of family back in Saskatchewan. We went there for a funeral maybe two years ago, and I I've never been before. And we landed. I think it was January was around the time. Uh, the first breath I took of air almost knocked me on my ass. Uh, I believe it. The first <laughs> oh, and, and, and it, like people don't realize just how cold it is because yeah. you don't like you don't have a ton of trees, mm-hmm. so you, you don't have much to really protect you from the wind. So uh, I would so the, and this is not very environmentally of me. So I, I apologize to our, our green thumb audience here, but. Uh, it would be so cold that, that I would wake up at 4.30, I would start my car, I would pray that it would start, and, and it would, because I plugged it in with a block heater, I would go back inside, I would shower, I would have breakfast, and then uh, right at about 4.55, I would get into my nice, toasty, warm <laughs> car for my five-minute commute to the radio station. <laughs> yeah, you're cruising at that point, that's a good feeling, I think. <laughs> 
The, um, but, I, yeah, I, I wanted to ask about um, the, the sports fix that you talked about um, and the, some of the guests that you have on. I've heard a lot of people say, you know, if you're going to come out with a new show or a new podcast, your first couple episodes have to be huge, right? Because that's when people are going to give you a chance. They're going to say, okay, well, I'll see this new project that's coming out. And you mentioned it. I think you've had Gordy Howe was the first guest you ever had on the show. Is that how it said? The, the very first guest Unreal. ever. And um, I, I mean, I've been in the business now for 15 years and not too many times have I like trembled before an interview. I mean, I've, you know, you've got a job to do, you've got to be a pro, uh, you've got a story to tell. Uh, I guess I, I don't, I don't get nervous easily in that kind of setting. I was beside myself the like the three hours ahead of that phone call you're kind of thinking to yourself like i can look like an idiot in front of my parents i can look like an idiot in front of my friends don't do anything stupid when you're talking to gordy how it's (laughs) sort of how i was framing it in my mind absolutely and what did you think at the end of it did the nerves shake away once you started talking or what well, so here's the thing with with Mr. Hockey. Um, you know, we the interview component of our chat lasted about 20 minutes. And, you know, he talked about, you know, some North Battleford memories. He, he grew up not far from there in Floral, Saskatchewan, just outside of Saskatoon. But, you know, we, we did our interview and, you know, it ended. And I remember saying to him, like, okay, you know, Mr. Howe, thank you so much for taking the time. I don't want to keep you from everything else you have to do. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> tell me about your career. Tell me about what you're up to and where's the radio station. And so we did a 20 minute interview, but we talked for about 25 additional minutes just about life and about hockey. And like, here I am, 23 years old, talking to Gordy Howe, the most popular hockey personality ever mm-hmm. and for half the conversation if not more he was more concerned and he he cared more about who i was and and wanted to hear my story i couldn't believe it i was i was awestruck by the generosity and and just how how amazing that conversation was and i kick myself to this day because i I've never really been a hoarder. Like I, I don't keep press passes. I don't keep like I, I've been horrible actually over the course of my career about keeping, um, you know, keeping keepsakes from events that I've covered in this. Right. And I'm, unfortunately, I do not have the audio from that interview. Um, and and it definitely is a regret of mine in hindsight. And obviously, we we lost him, you know, in the summer you know, a few years back. And I'd, I'd love to listen back and, and hear hear that conversation, but um, definitely a career highlight for me and, and something that I'll be forever grateful for, you know, my my half hour with Mr. Hockey. Absolutely. It sounds incredible for sure. And uh, I'd like to fast forward a little bit now. And um, I know you mentioned Prince George. We might skip past that a little bit because people want to hear about the Vancouver Giants and, <laughs> and how that came. No offense to Prince George. I'm sure we have some listeners up there as well. Uh, but I, wanna, I wanted to hear because you mentioned that um, your family was a billet family. You guys were involved with the Giants. You went to high school with a lot of these guys. What was it like for you to get the opportunity like, when you heard – that Brandon Batchelor got hired by the, I guess, Sportsnet or the Vancouver Canucks to do play-by-play for them. Were you just thinking, like, I got to drop everything right now and I need to get that job as the play-by-play guy for the Giants? 
Yeah, so so like uh, a little bit of a, a Prince George shout out. I mean, <laughs> six, sure. six, six years in in PG um, wouldn't trade those six years for anything. I, I met my wife there, and you know, uh, I would say still in so many ways, Prince George, you know, is my home away from home and Christmases and weddings and and all of this stuff. Um, now the the Giants actually were. were quite influential for me to get the job in Prince George because when the the Cougar job came open uh it was Dale Sipe surprise surprise who got on the phone with me and said like yep you you should apply for this I'll I'll call them on your behalf um and I'll I'll recommend your name and uh so okay got the job in Prince George and you know, experienced, you know, six unforgettable years and some, some pretty crazy highs and lows that, that went along with, with life in, and hockey in that town. But yeah, so it was a Tuesday in the summer and my, my wife and I were at the movie Dunkirk and my, there must've been about 20 minutes left in the movie and my phone in my pocket is going berserk. And, um, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, like these are text messages. They're not phone calls. Like I'll ride out the movie and, and see, open up the phone when the movie's done. And, uh, and I've got about eight or nine different people texting me saying that Brendan Batchelor is allegedly going to be, you know, the next voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Um, the Vancouver Giants need a broadcaster and, you know, please tell me you're going to apply Dan. And, you know, I, my, my dad, you know, obviously is from the area and, and still lives in Cloverdale. I've got buddies, you know, all around the hockey world that were texting me, but, you know, my friends from home and, and, you know, the text messages come pouring in. And it's one of those things where uh, I looked at my, my wife and just said like, Hey, you and I should go for a drink. I, I've got some news and, um, you know, Similar to Saskatchewan, I mean, it, it was one of those things where there, there was so much happening positively in Prince George that the decision to up and leave was was anything but easy, to be honest. But um, like I do with, with most dilemmas in my life, I, I called Dale Sipe and uh, I kind of said, Dale, uh, we've had this conversation a few times over the years, but uh, is it time? Is it time? Is it time for me to come and work for the Vancouver Giants? And you know, he kind of sheepishly said, uh, Dan, I, I think it might be time. So here's who you need to call. This is what you need to do. And um, the, the rest is history. Uh, you know, a few phone calls later and, and some back and forth and, you know, some some heartfelt conversation, you know, some tears and, and you know, the, the trust and support of my family. I, I happily accepted and I, I happily became the voice of my boyhood, uh, my boyhood hockey team, the Vancouver Giants. It's pretty unreal, Dan. It's, it's a pretty unreal story. And uh, I, I, I want to ask a little bit about your time with the Giants as well now, because um, the move to the LEC, I'm curious what that was kind of like for you. Well, yeah. So when I, when I started in the WHL, um, the Giants still played out of the Coliseum. And um, the Pacific Coliseum will always hold a special place in my heart and, and in the hearts of many. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny. I get flooded with these old Facebook memories. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, so I go back to 2011 and so many of my statuses are like, 
back to the Pacific Coliseum for another Cougars Giants game. Like maybe this will be the game where we can finally win a game here. And it took it took two full seasons of going to the Coliseum and getting our lunch handed to us by the Vancouver Giants, but finally got to call a win there and finally got to to call a victory at the Pacific Coliseum, which um, gosh might have been like. December of 2013 when I finally got that dreaded monkey off my back but then then when the Giants moved to the Langley Event Center that, that was my final year in PG so I, I got acquainted with the building and called a few games there and it I admit it, it felt weird you know coming back and and not going into East Vancouver, you know, staying at a hotel in Langley and going to the LEC for games, it it felt different. But then when I got hired on and then I, I spent five minutes at the LEC uh, as an employee of the Vancouver Giants, and um, I, I say this, it's going to sound, you know, biased, but I don't really care. Uh, I love the Langley Event Center. Uh, I think from a a facility standpoint, I think from a staff standpoint, I think from an atmosphere standpoint, uh, the LEC is a treasure. It is a great, great place for junior hockey. And I think about the the crew and the people associated with it who do just a phenomenal job with the webcasting, a terrific job from a fan experience standpoint. Um, it's got everything you need. And I say this knowing that, you know, we did do a few games at the Pacific Coliseum for Teddy Bear Toss two years ago. Uh, We did the Teddy Bear Toss this year at Rogers Arena, which was unbelievable. And yet um, the LEC, for for me, I I think to me, it's, it's absolutely one of the best facilities for junior hockey in the WHL. And I think the playoff run of 2019 exposed that mm-hmm. because um, I, I just remember some of the games and, and I get goosebumps talking about it, but just the noise and, and how loud that building felt when the Giants were, were, make, were marching their way towards Game 7. Uh, I've got a lot of time for the people and the building of the, of the LEC. I, uh, I remember listening. I worked at the mill. I was working a lot of night shifts at the time during that run. Uh, I remember you calling some big goals and having to like pull the headphone out of my ear because it was so damn loud uh, in a couple of those for sure. And um, and I, I just find it interesting because it's something that gets talked about, I guess, with some other sports teams. But having the Vancouver Giants out in Langley, how do you feel that fit kind of is, Dan? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a popular topic of conversation. Um, and... You know, my, I mean, I, I think I'm going to toe the company line a, a little bit here, and I'm, I'm just going to say that, uh, you know, the, the decision to shift from the Coliseum to Langley, it, it wasn't made, like, it wasn't made recklessly. It wasn't right. made, you know, it wasn't a knee-jerk thing to do. Um, a lot of market research, a lot of... Uh, stones were turned over to really make sure that it would be a viable decision and um i think if you look at just where the world is trending and i think if you just look at kind of the landscape of bc the young families that are are living you know in langley and in abbotsford and in the surrey area and and pit meadows and maple ridge and these communities that that are a stone's throw away from the lec um 
Uh, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, the decision to move to, to Langley makes sense. Um, now, would it be better to have a SkyTrain station near a rink? Yes. Would it be better to, you know, uh, you know, you hear people complain all the time about like, oh, the drive from Vancouver to Langley is so annoying and that that's deterring me from, from going. Well, so it takes 45 minutes to get anywhere, really, in the lower mainland with, with just how traffic goes. Um, I mean, look, the, the Coliseum is a special place. Uh, I, I totally get the the appeal of being in Vancouver, and, and I, I appreciate that that's, you know, that's where the roots are for the Vancouver Giants. Um, but you know what? It's not like there was a SkyTrain station near the PNE either. Um, driving to the PNE is a total pain in the ass, you know? So it's, um, you, you don't have to pay to park your car. Uh, you can take your family to a game at the LEC and, it, you know, you can get home at a reasonable time no matter where you live. And, and then what I, what I touched on in the last answer about just the, the experience in and of itself, uh, it's, it's a more modern building. There's, there's just a lot to like about it. Um, so, so you're, you're not going to like put it this way. I, I think I empathize and I sympathize with the fan who, who would love for the giants to still be based in Vancouver. But, but I, for one, am, am damn happy with, with Langley and, and, and just selfishly the commute for me, um, between, you know, the, the practice rink in Ladner and then the, uh, the game rink in Langley, uh, for a lot of reasons, it, it just seems to work. Yeah. As a guy living in White Rock, I love it. Uh, there's ample parking, like you mentioned. And I do, I, I get that kind of family experience a little bit more from it. Um, just personally. And I, I want to ask a little bit about something at the LEC as well, because my very first WHL game uh, was this year. I talked to you, got a media pass, was able to get into the game and watch a few of them this year. And the one thing that I loved when I saw at the rink was your dad, Dan. Uh, I don't think there's anybody with a bigger smile at the rink when you get here. So I'm, I'm curious, what's he been keeping busy with? Because it seemed like he was busy with the Giants a lot. Well, man, my, my dad is a podcast hero. Um, oh. You know, Cam Hope, the, on, on our show, episode 20, he, he he gave a shout out to my dad. Now now you're doing it. He's My, my dad doesn't need a, a bigger ego. He, yeah. He's he's just going to ham this up and love it. Um, no, I mean, my, my dad... Uh, um, he's been a va- he's volunteered with the Vancouver Giants for a long time, and um, I know when we we billeted my family billeted for the Vancouver Giants for three seasons: oh four, oh five, oh five six, and then oh six, oh seven. And um, shortly thereafter, my my mom and dad they moved they they moved they left Tawasson, and that's why they could no longer bill it, but. Um, my dad still wanted to stay involved, and and once again, he his name comes up again. But but Dale Sipe, I think, kind of got on him and said, "Hey, like we'd still love to have you around at the rink. We'd love for you to uh, to stay a part of of what we're doing." And then he became, you know, the, the media host. And um, when games were at the Coliseum, I mean, he would be up top in the in the scouts' room, and he would hand stat packs to the media and to the scouts, and would be sort of a greeter, and would make sure that everything was was kind of humming along the way that it was supposed to upstairs. And then, um, and and he did that even when I was in Prince George. So uh, 
infamously, I would I would come to games with the Cougars, and my dad would be volunteering for the Giants, <laughs> yeah. but he'd have a but he'd wear a Cougar jersey underneath <laughs> his jacket, and uh, I'm sure he caught all sorts of heck from it but his line was always uh, i'm a giants fan unless they're playing the cougars uh you know because he was he was supporting his son which i appreciated but um no i mean uh coming coming to the rink and seeing him down there i mean it it's uh it certainly gives a bit of a twinkle you know to just to know that i mean obviously the giants have, have had a real big impact for me in my life but for him as well and you know the, the friends that he's made and, and just the experiences that he's had, you know, volunteering with the team. And, you know, he, he's just one of many phenomenal volunteers. Um, I think if you, like, you really want to get to the crux of junior hockey, I mean, it's, um, you know, we're talking about my dad right now, but, I mean, the Giants have, have a handful of them that have been doing it for a long time who, you know, th- th- there's no job too big or too small. Uh, I don't think you can have you know, one of the best junior hockey programs in all of the world without uh, a handful of volunteers who just go above and beyond. And that just, I think, speaks to the leadership of the of the team and, and just speaks to the, the importance of the Giants to a lot of folks. And um, as far as what's keeping my dad busy these days, he's, uh, he is, he is a dog walker extraordinaire. Um, on days when I have to go to the rink, uh, my wife's a teacher, so she's at school every day. So my dad, uh, you know, very loyally will take our dog Tulo for a walk uh, every day, every afternoon. Kind of a reason to get him out of the house for about an hour and enjoy the outdoors. So him and Tulo have a, a real bond. And, you know, he and I will go for, for walks and we'll have the occasional dinner together. And, you know, uh, I think he, like like all of us, are just kind of waiting for hockey to return so that he can take his, his usual post back at the LEC. Absolutely. I'm excited to see him there. Um, I, I want to I ask a little bit about the podcast now, The Voice and the Coach. Uh, you guys can find it on Twitter, at voice underscore coach underscore pod. Um, Dan, why did you decide to start a podcast in the middle of a pandemic? I'll start with that. <laughs> so... Uh, Mark Hollick was the coach of the Prince George Cougars uh, for two and a half years when I was up there. And so we we became friends and and remain good friends to this day. Uh, Last summer, so pre-COVID, we're having a beer at his house. And he was actually the one who said, like, you and I should start a podcast. And, like, you've been there. Um, You're kind of like, oh, yeah, sure, like like nice thought but uh probably not gonna happen and then um you know all of a sudden we get into the month of may and you know things you know related to the pandemic and covid uh, aren't aren't improving they're only seemingly getting worse and then it, it sort of becomes a thing where you know you've You've got some time on your hands. You, you're looking for a way to kind of channel your creativity a little bit. And, um, you know, a, a phone call with Mark, you know, I, I sheepishly brought it up to him and I said, hey, remember that conversation about a podcast? Well, were you serious? And turns out he was he was absolutely serious. So 
as he tells the story, two days later, he's minding his own business. He gets a knock on his door, and, and there's me with a microphone and a uh, you know a recording kit and just all of these things that we need to to record an episode. And I mean, we we were very clear from the onset, like this is a hobby, this is fun, this is something that um, you know we we just want to do to keep ourselves entertained more than anything. And, you know, the, the giants gave their blessing for me to, to pursue it kind of on the side. And, um, you know, you do one or two episodes. I mean, we, we had Scott Gomez on as one of our very first episodes cause he and Mark had a connection. And I, I think, you know, you, you get five episodes in, you get 10 episodes in and all of a sudden you start to find your stride a little bit. And, um, you know, uh, I can honestly say, like, highlight number one for me during the pandemic was was getting married on July 18th. But uh, highlight number two, I, I think I can sincerely say, I mean, the, the podcast has been a real cathartic, um, really, really important part of my life. Just in the in, just in the fact that it's 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 a reason to network. It's a reason to communicate. It's it just allows us. You know, we love hockey because of the game and the stories therein. And to be able to tell some of those stories, to tell some of my own, but but more importantly, to hear from others, you know, to hear, you know, about a goaltending coach, you know, become, you know, the second ever African-American coach to ever hoist the Stanley Cup or to, you know, to talk baseball with Dan Shulman or racial equality with Wacy Rabbit. I mean, these aren't things that that just happen every day and so when you have the opportunity to go down these these paths and have these conversations it's it's been a real game changer for me and um and something that i've really been grateful for as it's uh you know mark and i have had a lot of fun with it and and we're getting some good feedback um which which we really do sincerely appreciate Absolutely, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure for myself to enjoy. Like I was mentioning to you, I got a decent drive to get to the girlfriend's house every day, so I uh, I rely on podcasts very hard. And yours is definitely in the rotation now. Uh, I've been tuning in pretty hard over the past couple of weeks. Um, uh, Dan, I wanted to um, I you saw the tweet I think that I sent out asking some questions. Uh, we got some questions from Twitter, but before that, I have a couple that I wanted to ask you that are just kind of off the off the topic a little bit, but in a similar way because I. The first one, I, I find it amazing, and I hear it on your podcast so much. The able, the ability that you have to recollect games that happened 5, 10, who knows, 15 <laughs> years ago, it, it blows me away sometimes. Um, so I'm curious if you can remember the most outstanding game you've ever seen a single player have. Like I, I'm thinking of like what Ty Smith did last year with those eight points in that one game. Uh, no matter what level it was, do you remember one game where you saw a player just do something just unbelievable in one game, whether it was points, fights, anything, really. I, I do. I have one for you. Um, the Memorial Cup Championship game, May 2013, Halifax Mooseheads, Portland Winterhawks. Um, all of the talk that season was Seth Jones. Uh, he was going to be the number one overall pick this Six foot four defenseman from Texas commits to the Portland Winterhawks, and and for the record, Seth Jones is a wonderful hockey player. Yeah. Um, his Winterhawks, coached by Travis Green, 
uh, end up in the Memorial Cup final that year in Saskatoon against the Halifax Mooseheads, uh, who had an incredible team. Zach Ficali was in goal, Jonathan Druen, Martin Furk, and a fellow by the name of Nathan McKinnon. And in that championship game... If my if my memory serves correctly, Halifax won the game six five, and if Nathan McKinnon didn't have six points in that game, I'm certain he had five. Wow! And and I remember, like I, I attended the championship game live. Uh, I was vacationing in Saskatoon at the time and, and had tickets, and I just remember thinking going in like. Seth Jones arrived at the Memorial Cup as the the soon-to-be number one overall pick in the draft, and I think Nathan McKinnon left the Memorial Cup as the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old adage of, of great players pick the greatest moments to truly leave their mark. Um, Nathan McKinnon had a championship game for the ages. Every single time he was on the ice, he did something positive. I'll never forget watching Nathan McKinnon uh, for the Halifax Mooseheads in the Memorial Cup final that year. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I had to Google it here quick. And yeah, three goals, two assists, but the last one was an empty netter that he wasn't a part of. So you were pretty much bang on with that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just seeing some of the names on this list as well. It's, it's crazy to see how many players Nick Patan's in that game. Uh, you know, a couple other guys. Yeah, Seth Jones, like you mentioned. Wow, like what a... Derek Pouliot was, yeah. was there. Ty Ratty was an unbelievable goal scorer for the Portland Winterhawks. I mean, the, the, the defense alone for the Winterhawks is, is one of the best defense cores I've ever seen in junior hockey. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty spectacular game and a spectacular end of the tournament. Absolutely. And my my second question for you before, like, I'm, I'm being a little greedy here and getting my questions in first before Twitter, but the second one I have is, is more specific to the Vancouver Canucks a little bit because they have a player in Victor Person, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago through text. He's going to be joining the Kamloops Blazers um, as soon as the WHL season is starting. He's currently playing in a J20 Swedish league overseas right now. I'm wondering what do you think is going to be the hardest part for a guy like him to transition from a J20 Swedish league to the WHL? Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I think that um, the, the import draft is is a real riddle and it's a real maze because honestly, you, you, you do the import draft and I mean, like sometimes you pick a player like... I'm pretty sure when Prince Albert selected Leon Dreisaitl in the import draft, I, I think they had it on pretty solid authority that you're getting a, a, a player that can change your franchise. Um, more often than not, though, the import draft, it's a, it's a dart throw. Honestly, you're throwing a dart at a wall and you're hoping something sticks and hits. Um, so the Giants, I mean, you look at some of the imports that they've had, you know, Mario Bliznak and Michael Repic and Milos Roman, uh, Andre Mazeros, Merrick Schwartz, um, Merrick Tverdin. Like, there's also been some misses. And so when it comes to Victor Person and the Kamloops Blazers and this Swedish defenseman, I mean, I, I, I would say the biggest thing that he can do and, and probably just a, a memo to Canuck fans is, is to 
like understand that it's really hard for anybody to just come to the WHL and just shut down and dominate. Um, he's going to a great team, a team that, uh, put it this way. I mean, they're, they've got great depth at all positions. So it's not like he's going to Kamloops and is going to be told like, okay, we need you to play 40 minutes a game and play in all situations and go quarterback our power play. And but while you're at it, make sure you shut down Tristan Nielsen and make sure he doesn't score any goals. Um, I'm sure that with the way Sean Clouston and and Matt Bardsley have that team constructed, that they're going to just tell him, "Look, come on in, be just just figure out what your role is here, and and just be one of the guys." And for him, like I think a success for for a defenseman like that, you know, play in the top four, you know show well when your team has the power play prove that you can defend prove that you can be trusted and and also like in in and as much as fans need to kind of temper expectations a little bit it's also going to be on him to understand that uh the, the whl is the best junior hockey league in the world i think and, and it's not like he's going to just waltz right in and, and dominate the league and 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 have it come easy for him um by all accounts i mean he's he's drafted to the nhl for a reason there's obviously upside there and i think for him to you know come to north america for him to be you know a three-hour drive away from from vancouver he's going to be within arm's reach of of the development staff and the scouting staff uh i would certainly you know based on the success that i think the kamloops blazers are going to have he's going to be a big part of that and i would expect for him to be an impact player on that team absolutely that uh, that Kamloops team I got to see them once last year at the LEC and they were exciting just to think of them then and those young players getting a year older that's going to be a nasty team they got this year yeah uh, I mean I think if you look at them on paper and you look at the Giants on paper I mean you're, you're probably looking at, at two teams that fully expect to be at the top of the BC division and you know the, the Giants have had some great rivalry games with Victoria and, and Kelowna over the years um, the Giants haven't—they haven't played Kamloops in the playoffs. I—I I, I want to say maybe back in 2004 they met in the playoffs, I and mean, they, they haven't met in the playoffs very often. Mm-hmm. I think that might change. I think that was going to change in 2020. I fully expect that to be the case in 2021. Should be a lot of fun. I'd love a playoff series. I'm getting to watch uh, Canucks prospects, so we'll see about that. Um, uh, I'm going to change one of these questions. I'm going to change a couple of these questions a little bit, um, just for you, since you're an employee of the Vancouver Giants. Aside from the Vancouver Giants, are the Kelowna Rockets the model franchise of the WHL over the past 20 years? If not, who is? And that's from at seven eight nine zero one two A N Y. That is a, a really difficult Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a phone number, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know what? Um, the Kelowna Rockets, to their credit, uh, have done a wonderful job. I mean, you, you look at the championships that they've won, uh, the success that they have had, the... You know the team success stands out definitely, uh, but you look at then the players that have come out of that program who are 
mainstays in the NHL. I mean, they've they've got as long a list as any, uh, especially active NHLers. Uh, are they the gold standard in the WHL? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a politician with this answer, and I'm going to say that they're one of them. Um, the other two that come to mind that I think deserve some consideration um, – the Portland Winterhawks have been the epitome of success. Um, you know, I think about my 10 years in the WHL, and I don't think the Portland Winterhawks for a single year of those 10 have had a bad team. Um, they've had some years and some teams where they're just an absolute juggernaut, and it's like, well, how the hell do you expect to beat these guys and, and then you look at the guys from Portland that, that are in the NHL and that have gone on to play pro I mean uh, I can't really say enough good things about the job you know Mike Johnston and, and his staff have done in, in Portland over the years and then the other one that I don't like the other one that really intrigues me and, and I think there's going to be a, a bit of an adjustment now totally not not necessarily on a lot of folks radars but it's hard to argue with their success is the Brandon Wheat Kings now with with Kelly McCrimmon selling the team and removing himself from from that equation it'll be curious to see if if that franchise kind of takes a different you know if if they stumble a little bit or if there's there's a bit of a, a growing pains adjustment time but man um, you know I think about the players that have come from that program and some of the teams they've had in the past 10 years, you know, Michael Furland and Mark Stone and Ivan Provorov, uh, just to name a few, Nolan Patrick. Not bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, they have turned they've turned out some phenomenal NHL players and, and just good people to boot from that. Uh, Dave Lowry is the coach there, and I'm a big fan of his and just the job that he has done. Um, and there's one WHL rink where I've never called a victory. In in 10 years of calling games, Brandon is the only place, the only rink where I've never won. So um, I'd like to change that someday. <laughs> Most definitely. Um, next question here from at Canucks 43. This is from Laura. I know she's a big Giants fan. I've seen pictures of her at the Giants games. Big Canucks fan as well. Um, her question is, have you discovered any new hobbies or skills during the pandemic? And Dan, I'm going to put this one on uh, a little bit of a mix on the question. You can't say cooking because that's what everyone's saying. Oh, well, so my, my answer was going to be um, – like again not to get too too off track i'm not a big egg guy i i don't i'm very fussy in fact when it comes to eating eggs but for the past two months almost every single sunday i've started making omelets and um I think it's just a way to maybe score some brownie points with with my wife. Uh, she's grading her high school papers at the desk, and I'm just kind of thinking, okay, like what can I do to get me a hall pass to go and watch football all day? So I, I usually get up on Sundays and I'll I'll, I'll make breakfast and um, omelets. I don't know, man. I've, I think I've got I've got natural talent when it comes to creating omelets. I don't like eggs. But I like my omelets. So that, that'll be one. Uh, the podcast would be the other one, yeah. um, which we've touched on. And, and the third thing is um, 
doing my very best uh, with mixed results to, to really try and keep physical fitness a top priority. Right. Um, back in June of 2019, I started a fitness blog where I, I tried, well, uh, I, I committed to losing 50 pounds in 52 weeks. And um, depending on the day, I'm, I'm anywhere from about 35 to 38 pounds of the way there. So keeping the weight off during a pandemic has had oh, its I challenges because, you know, that. some days you... You know, today, in fact, has not been a very healthy day. Just a lot of a lot of poor food choices and and what have you. But um, yeah, so it's really just been trying to keep physical health at the forefront um, because with with physical health, I think comes strong mental health, and, and that's been really key during you know the yo yo time of COVID and and the ups and downs that that have accompanied it. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, I want to go back to the omelet stand, if you're okay with this. Um, sure. So you mentioned that you, you don't like eggs, but you love the omelets that you've been making. So I'm curious, is there like an underrated ingredient that you're putting in there? Like, is there, I don't want to call it a topping because you're putting it inside of it, but is there something that's underrated or something that you use that nobody else maybe uses in an omelet that they need to try? Well, I, I see, I, I will eat eggs when they're masked with lots of other things to take away from the egg component of the dish so i mean my go-to probably like if i were gonna try and impress you yeah. uh with an omelet i i would probably i would do two eggs with some some freshly fried bacon so like pre-fried bacon mm-hmm. uh would throw in like not sure what your stance is but one of my favorites is to put some spinach yeah. mushrooms bacon and feta cheese and some and some cherry tomatoes so almost like a greek style omelet excellent served with uh with two hash browns a little bit of salsa on top and then like some freshly grated cheese over the top sounds good we're gonna see that at a concession for a sunday game here for the Giants. <laughs> called the o'connor uh you're gonna be able to get your own omelet i guess coming up soon uh we'll get to the final question now uh this is from at terry guest 29 uh, and I'm going to change this question as well. Um, favorite Giants player of all time and why? And I want to get your opinion on on the ice and off the ice. Oh, my. Whew. Okay. So favorite. Well, okay. My side answer to that question is uh, Mitch Sieber and Stuart Thiessen because they were the two that billeted with me and my family. And if I don't say them, I'll, I'll, I'll get shit from it for, for, for days. So um, th- those two, for, for family reasons, I'm going to throw them out there. F- favorite giant of all time. Oh, man. And I'm going to try and not, like, th- there's so many current players i mean i mean bo and byram being an obvious choice and you know getting a chance to to watch the likes of ty ronning and and tyler benson darian skio um you know since i've been with them my favorite giant to watch and why trying my very very best not to hum and haw too much on this one for you but um I am going to say my favorite giant to watch of all time was Gilbert Brule. 
Fair. Good call. And, and you know what? I, it might be a bit of a cop-out, but where where I'm going with this is you, you talk to people who have followed this franchise closely. I, I think... You know, uh, for for a myriad of reasons, his pro career maybe didn't pan out the way people expected it to. But Gilbert Brule, I think, in so many ways, was instrumental in really, like, he his skill set, his heart. Uh, he was a major X factor in in making the Giants a champion. Um, you know, when he returned to the team in 0506 and, you know, I think he led the Memorial Cup in scoring that year, even though the Giants didn't win it. Um, I think he's probably to this day the most dominant player the Vancouver Giants have ever had. And, and that's saying something when you look at the likes of Evander Kane and, you know, Bowen Byram, Tyler Benson, Brendan Gallagher, Milan Lucic. But I don't know if the Giants have ever had a player who could single-handedly change the the temperature of a game the way Gilbert Brule could and um, so so he's going to be my favorite giant ever for on the ice um, favorite giant off the ice and and this is man there's so many like, like the thing about my job that that is, makes me feel so fortunate is that I've, I've had the true genuine pleasure of getting to know so many of these players over the years and sharing meals with them on the road and just having some really profound neat conversations but um ty ronning for me is a guy who um comes by his personality honestly and so my first year with the giants was 2017 18 uh that season ty ronning became the giants first ever 50 goal scorer and the team's first ever 60 goal scorer and um that same season he was the whl humanitarian of the year and you know like player appearances and community outreach it's it's a huge part of the fabric and the culture of junior hockey and so many players that i've met over the years are really great people and they do very well with outreach sometimes though it does take a little bit of coaxing a little bit of prodding and and sometimes a gentle nudge to some players just to say okay guys like you're at this thing, just shake hands and, and do your thing. Yeah. Ty Ronning never needed any of that. Um, he was the kind of guy who would just arrive at an event um, and, and he he just knew what was expected of him mm-hmm. and then he obliterated it. And, 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 but like, but not because he, not because he's a Ronning and not because he's, um, you know, looking for for adoration. I it, like simply put, it's who he is. Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget it. One of the coolest moments for me ever in junior hockey. Um, the the night he broke Evander Kane's record for goals in a single season. It was a home game. It was February eighth, two thousand eighteen, against the Seattle Thunderbirds. The Giants won the game two one. 
and Ty Ronning scored both of those goals. The the first one to tie the record, the next one in overtime. Uh, it, it's a call that you can still hear anywhere that there's a Vancouver Giants anything. Yeah. Um, uh, a terrible voice crack by the play-by-play <laughs> broadcaster, but, but I digress. Um, the, so the 48th goal, the record-tying goal, I completely pooched the call. Um, I thought Davis Kosh scored the goal because it was Kosh who took the shot from the slot, and I was convinced that, that Kosh had scored the goal completely not knowing that Ty Ronning was parked in front of the net and the puck went in off his ass. And um, so here I am, like, a a crazily important goal for the Vancouver Giants and a a history-tying goal, and I didn't even know that Ty Ronning had scored it until until he led the flyby and Bill actually corrected me. So there I am, feeling like an absolute idiot. And then, sure enough, like... The hockey gods were smiling on me that day, and Ty picks off Jarrett Tishka, goes in, scores the overtime winner. It's one of the best, one of one of the most memorable goals I I had the pleasure of calling. But then after the game, underneath, you know, we took photos of Ty with his two pucks, and um, he pulled me aside after that, and he he gifted me goal number forty eight. He gifted me the puck, and the the reason why he did that is um, he he knows that I I've got autographed baseballs. I'm a I'm not a huge collector, but but I've I've got some autographed baseballs and a few signed hockey pucks that that I'm very very proud of. He knew this. He'd been to my office. He'd seen them, and so he wanted me to have that puck for my collection. And despite me insisting that he keep this record-tying puck, that he might want it one day and, and keep it as a keepsake for yourself or your family one day, he says, Dan, like, I'm not taking no for an answer. This puck is yours. I want you to have it. And um, and, and that, to me, was, was just a, like, this kid's 20 years old. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just forever be grateful and taken aback for, for his generosity and just for for that moment it it might not have meant a ton to him but to this day it meant a lot to me and that is why Tyroning to me is one of my favorite giants off the ice uh, as well as on it as well must be uh, pretty funny when you mentioned him about the play call on that one then <laughs> oh yeah well i mean like Thankfully, goal forty nine gets a lot of the love and gets a lot of the play. Uh, goal forty eight, I, I don't. The only person that probably remembers it is is Ty and yeah. me. Um, but no, I'm, I've I've watched the highlights back a couple of times, and and every time I do, I'm like, Dan, you idiot. <laughs> but to be fair, I mean, it's it's hard to tell from the highlight that that the puck hit him. So. Uh, they all count, I guess. Yeah, most definitely. Well, Dan, I just quickly checked over on the recording here to see if we were at 30 minutes yet, uh, and we're over an hour. So uh, <laughs> I think we'll wrap it up there. I really appreciate you coming on. I always say that uh, some of the best interviews that I do are with people who talk for a living. So this has definitely lived up to that. Um, I really appreciate you jumping on the show and kind of mixing it up a little bit. I, I know we talked about it. This, you know, Normally we all do Canucks stuff, but this is Vancouver hockey, and this is something that I've enjoyed in the past year ever since moving to Vancouver. So appreciate your time a ton and i'm curious about the podcast do you guys have a scheduled release date for episodes 
Not really. We we are very much at the mercy of of our guests and their availability, and and also just kind of how punchy we're feeling in a given week. But um, we try to do one a week. Quite often, it turns into about one every ten or so days. But um, you know, we we tweet every episode before they 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 drop, and um, you know, again, we we. Uh, we do our best. Uh, obviously, with hockey getting set to start up again, it's it's a it's a bit of a challenge. It's it's more of a challenge, I suppose, just to find the the free time to do it. But um, no, we we do our best to, to crank out a, at least one every every if not every week, every other week for sure. Absolutely. Well, I've been excited. I've been loving it lately. Hopefully, some other people enjoy it as well. Um, and Dan, uh, thank you very much for doing this. We're excited to uh, to see, and I guess more likely hear you uh, January eighth when the WHL gets going again uh, i've really enjoyed the conversation chris as always and, and to you and and obviously your podcast and and the the job you're doing and just your pursuits it's uh, it's been really cool to follow and uh you're, you're incredibly talented you've got a great head on your shoulders and and trust me i've i've really enjoyed the conversation and i look forward to having many more with you as we as we move along absolutely dan appreciate this